and welcome to this week's episode of Renoites. My name is Connor McWibby. I'm your host, as always. Thank you so much for checking out the episode today. I'm actually not the host of this week's episode. I have a special guest host. I've started having a booth at the Riverside Farmers Market most Sundays. The market's every Sunday from 8 to 1 at Idlewild Park. And I've had a couple weeks now that I have had a booth there and got the opportunity to tell people about the show, about what I'm doing, why I'm doing it. And today's episode is really fun because I am going to be the guest on the show, and our surprise guest host for this episode is Reno Mayor Hillary Sheevy. Mayor Sheevy was on the podcast about a year ago, and she had an idea of kind of reversing the roles on the show and having me get an opportunity to talk about what I'm doing with this show. I think for a lot of listeners, they may not know about the reasons I do this show, what I hope to see from it, and some of my background. So she had an idea of doing an episode with me as the guest, and it was really great. I appreciated the opportunity to talk about what led me to creating the show, about why I like the format of the show so much, this long-form interview. We talked about the type of guests that I try to have on the show, and a lot of it is just about my approach towards media, about what I want to make sure I'm being cautious of in terms of the type of content that I do, the type of conversations that I have, and generally my approach of engaging with people. Of course, we also talked a little bit about things that are happening in Reno. We got to talk about development, housing, what we'd like to see from the city, and it was fantastic to be able to explore those things a little bit more with our current mayor. We also talked about issues of mental health, about political partisanship, social media, and the challenges of being in the public eye as a politician or in the media. I'm grateful that she reached out to do another episode of the podcast and that she took the time to come back on Renoites. We had a great conversation the last time around and this time as well. As I said, I am going to be at the Riverside Farmer's Market at Idlewild Park most Sundays. That is from 8 to 1. Stop by and say hi. I'm going to have stickers and t-shirts and stuff available, but mostly it's a great opportunity just to chat about what you like about the show, what you want to hear more of, guests that you'd like to hear on the show. It's really great to be able to interact directly with people in real life about what I'm doing with this podcast. So stop by anytime. Come say hi. If you follow me on Instagram, let me know. I'll give you a, a free sticker. Also on this episode, we talked about the live tapings of Reno Whites that I have done in recent months at Black Rabbit Mead. There's another one of those coming up tomorrow. That is Wednesday, June 7th. This one's going to be with Pete Manchetti, who is known as the sticker guy here in Reno. He makes a lot of band merchandise, but he's also a band promoter. He created the Debaucherino Music Festival, which is happening in just a couple weeks. So we're going to have a live episode taping Wednesday, June 7th from 7 to 9 at Black Rabbit Mead to talk about Reno's music scene, its kind of punk rock history, how things have changed over the last 10, 20, 30 years in Reno's music scene, about live entertainment and why it's so important. A lot of stuff. So I'm very excited about that one. Again, that's at Black Rabbit Mead on Wednesday, June 7th from 7 to 9 o'clock. Details on that are on my Instagram as well. Of course, it is always free to attend. Great to have an audience in person there. So come on down. As always, my email address is Connor, C-O-N-O-R, at renoites.com. And now, this week's host of Renoites, Mayor Hillary Sheevy. I am super excited because I am your surprise host. Hello, everyone. I'm Hillary Sheevy, uh, Mayor Hillary Sheevy, for those of you that might not know me. And we've wanted to do this for a long time. I thought it was really important because I think that people 
probably don't know a lot about you because you're always talking to other people. And Mm -hmm. I think people should understand who the host is of a podcast because really that's the heart and soul of the creator and sort of the vision as you move forward in this journey. So we've talked about it for a long time doing this and we're finally doing it. So I'm super excited. I can't wait to interview you. So I'm going to start off with um, talk a little bit. Are you born and raised here in Reno? Yes, I am. So I have a a similar Reno story to a lot of people in that I was born here, grew up here, and then left for a period and then came back. And I talk to people all the time who left Reno and then came back to Reno. I think that the reason for that for me was growing up here, I wanted to live in a bigger city, right? I thought of Reno as... I think we all were yeah. like, oh, we, yeah, we the, have this, the, the big let's city. Let's live in New York so, or exactly. LA, yeah, right? something exciting. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I was like kind of a shy kid. I was kind of nerdy. I was gay and not out. Mm-hmm. And I think that having this idea of like the bigger city, there's more people, there's more, more culture. Acceptance. More acceptance. All of those things. Sure. Um, and also, I studied film for my first couple of years in college, and UNLV has a film program, and UNR doesn't. Very cool. And I had the Millennium Scholarship when it was brand new, so if I stayed in state, it was much cheaper to go to college. So it just made a lot of sense for me to go to Las Vegas. And I didn't really like Las Vegas very much either. Right. But I was there for about nine years, and then moved to Portland, Oregon, again, trying to get away from the city that I was in that didn't that I didn't really like and like, oh, I want to go to another city that's more what I, I think I will like. Um, and I did. I loved Portland. Some of my best friends I met in Portland. And then uh, after a few years, I lived in Oakland. And I lived in Oakland for a few years. But in 20, I guess it was 2016 or 2017, I was living in Oakland. It was so expensive. It was, I was working all the time. I was taking the bar i mean i love public transit but it was like an hour ish you know i had to like walk to the bar station be on the train for half an hour uh and there was an opportunity to come back to reno and my family really wanted me to come back and i thought it was just a great time to kind of reconnect with the city that i grew up in and be closer to my family and Reno had changed so much. Mm-hmm. That was, it was a whole different city than when I was you know, <laughs> We right? tried hard. Yeah. Right? I do believe that. We've really tried hard yeah. with our arts and culture yeah. and just and, and f- being like a food much too. more welcoming yeah. city. And every time, so yeah. every time I would come back, so I'd come back on the holidays and things like that. And it was always like, oh, hey, there's this new restaurant. Oh, hey, there's this new thing to do. There's this new show. There's all of, yeah. um, you know, the city. I saw it change just like a little bit at a time with all these visits. Mm -hmm. And by the time I was ready to, you know, make another big change, it really made sense for me to come back. Mm -hmm. It's been great. I love all the changes in Reno. I know some people are nostalgic for the earlier days of Reno. And there there are things to like about Reno, how it was. But I I think that change is inevitable. Mm -hmm. And cities are either going to, they're going to change in a good way and get better and people will want to come to them and they'll Mm -hmm. grow. And there's growing pains with growing cities. Or they'll change in a bad way, and they will decline, and people will leave, and they'll fall apart. And you, right. you know, that's like a lot of cities in the Midwest, a lot of industrial sure. cities. And I'd much rather live in a city that's you know struggling with some growth sure. than a city that is like just bleeding dying. money and people and dying. dying. Yes. So yeah, it's been really exciting to be back in a city yeah. that has a lot of you know like growing city energy. I love that. But you know what I love about it because I did the same thing. I left and then came back. And what I love about that is. I think you don't really appreciate it until mm-hmm. you do leave. 
And then you come back and you're like, wow, you know, at home, 100%. It, you know, it's so green and we have this beautiful river that runs through it. And I think we take so much of that for granted unless we do mm-hmm. leave. And so coming back, yeah. I, I think it makes so much sense. And I just think there's nothing like home. Yeah. And also just like the size of the city too. Like growing up, I was like, oh, Reno's so small. I want to live <laughs> in a big place. And then I lived, all of the places that I lived were significantly bigger than Reno. Sure. And then now I come back and... You know, when people complain about traffic, I'm like, you have what? no idea. You, what had, traffic you had to wait is? in traffic for five minutes. Like, that's but not I still traffic. complain about because yeah. I'm like, oh, because <laughs> it is. It's hard for me, obviously, being mayor, to see mm-hmm. it grow like that. But it's also really exciting because mm-hmm. we have really diversified a lot. Because yeah. in the recession, a lot of people don't probably know this, but we were the highest in foreclosure and unemployment in mm-hmm. 2008. And since I grew up here. I, I remember my friends, when people would say, where are you from? We'd say Lake Tahoe. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. And now I think we're just so proud of the city that we live in. But I think we've tried really hard to diversify, mm-hmm. um, especially during that time, because we've been so predominantly gaming. And that's what got us in so much trouble. Yeah. We had not diversified our economy. And we've done a really good job of doing that. So I think that's sort of the energy and as how we evolve. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's changed a lot. And, you know, it is hard. change is hard. I know because I was born and raised here. There's mm-hmm. some things that and I'm going to date myself and you won't know this because Connor and we should talk about this. How old are you? Uh, I'm 39. I turned 40. Oh, you're a baby. I, I turned 40 in September. You're a baby. So you wouldn't know <laughs> this, but maybe you have much older Reno listeners that will know this whenever I say mm-hmm. at one time, you probably don't know, but McCarran was hash lane. Oh, that's before my time for mm-hmm. sure. It was called Hash Lane and it had these massive trees on it. And it was just, um, you know, a two-way lane. It was um, really interesting. No street lights, So at, hmm. at night it would be really dark and eerie. And so I remember the days of when McCarran looked like that. Yeah. And I mean, I know I, it's before my time too, but I think like even Plum Lane was kind of like that was the south end of town once upon a time, right? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So it is funny to hear that. But th- like I said, there's nothing like home. Okay. So now how long have you been back then? Okay. So I've been back since 2017, but I haven't been back the whole time because what I did, I moved home in 2017. And the first thing I did, I got a job with Reno Food Tours. Mm. So I was doing food tours and it was like a walking historical food yes, tour. I remember. A, People it, loved it. It's so fun. Well, it's back. They stopped during the pandemic, but they are back now. Just I think this year is there. They've relaunched. And it was great because having been away for so long and kind of not knowing as much about the current Reno, I had an opportunity as a job to basically walk around downtown and midtown and go into all these new cool restaurants that are kind of shaping what the city's like and tell people how much Reno has changed and how much I love it and the history of these buildings and Uh stuff. So I really, it was fortunate that I found a job that really led me to kind of fall in love with Reno right off the bat when I got back. But that was just for the summer. And then in the fall of that year, I think 2017 in the fall, when they stopped doing the food tours, I had to decide, okay, well, what am I going to do now? I need to get either like a full-time real grown-up job. <laughs> I, not, not that that wasn't a real job, but uh, I need to like find a career type job or maybe I can do more kind of part-time service time work just for a little while until I figure something else out. I don't like the winter very much. We were talking about this before <laughs> right, we get right. record. I have a hard time yes. now with the winter. I think maybe it's just because uh, I'm getting older, but this, yeah. this winter was pretty brutal. It was awful. It was really bad. Yeah. But so it was winter was coming and I was like, okay, well, what can I do? Maybe I will, 
I want to travel a little bit. Before I settle down in Reno, mm-hmm. I want to, uh, you know, get out of here for the winter. And I had visited Mexico before and really loved it. And so I decided, okay, I want to do, like, a, I'll do a road trip around, like, the south. I'll go south, you know, the southwest. The weather will be good. I can avoid the snow. I love to camp. I love to explore. And that idea just added and added. At first, I was like, okay, well, I'll do that for a couple months. But then if I'm doing that for a few months, I should probably don't want to pay rent. So maybe I can sublet my apartment. But no one's going to want to rent my apartment for two months. Maybe they'll do it for like, you know, like six months. And then I was like, well, if I'm doing that for six (laughs) months, and then I'm going to be halfway across the country and have to drive all the way back, maybe I should just do the entire year. And it turned into almost an entire year-long road trip. Wow. So I moved into the back of my Prius. Wow. uh, Because this was was at the top of like the the van life trend. So all over over Instagram, there was all these like van life influencers (laughs) who have these decked out Sprinter vans with like a full kitchen in them. It's like $100,000. I'm like, well... (laughs) Uh, I have, like, not doing I, have that. I already own a Prius that is almost paid off and I barely fit. If I put a bed in the back, um, you know, I'm six feet tall, but I do fit in the back of a Prius. Uh, and there were people who had done that too. So I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to take, a um, some guidance from the people yeah, who've done like sure. really minimal road trips. Right. And so I did like a year long road trip in my Prius cause I wanted to see more of the country wow. before I really settled down in Reno. Wow. And it was amazing. I think it's one of the, it's the best decision I probably ever made. Because, I think everyone yeah. should actually do that and experience the it was country wild. in yeah. some capacity. Yeah. Right. What was your favorite destination? Ooh, that is so hard. I mean, there's so many places that are made. I think like New Orleans is a, I think a prime example of I've a city. I've never been there you and I've heard go. it's amazing. It's, well, the thing that I love about New Orleans is that there is nothing else like it in the United States as far as I, as far as I know, as far as I can tell, just because of sure. its history. So the food, the culture, the architecture, um, there's so much that is interesting and unique about it. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I loved about that trip is you know, I had lived around the West Coast a lot, but there's so much of this country that I had never seen before. And I traveled internationally a little bit too, but I just felt like it was a shame to have such an amazing country. And I visited about 30 national parks. That was the other wow. thing that kind of guided my trip was I was trying to go to as many national parks that as I could. phenomenal. So yeah, I was like, well, there's so many amazing places to go. Uh, I should see these things before I, you know, get too old and tired to do it or before yeah. I get a real job and, you know, yeah. don't have the vacation You're time or whatever. Down. Yeah, so I, uh, you know probably irresponsibly used some of my savings to <laughs> to go live out of a car for a while. But it was one of the best things that I've done because I think it let me see more of the country. And I think it led to me doing the podcast too because I spent so much time meeting new people and having conversations with them about who they are, what they do, their the city that they live in. And I didn't record any of that, but it felt very similar to what I'm doing now. And the whole time on that trip, I was like, oh man, this should be a, you know, I should be recording this. This should be a podcast. This, this is something. And so it really kind of like planted that seed in my head of like, wait a second. I love meeting people and talking to people. That is so cool. Yeah. And so you found this sort of new love. I did. Yeah. And then, so I got back at the end of that trip at the end of 2018. And so I've really been back in Reno full time since end of 2018. 2018. Yeah. Yeah, So time flies. That's almost four and a half, five years. It does. Time flies. I think it's a great time to segue because you bring up the podcast. Mm -hmm. So I would love for you to tell your listeners why you started it. Obviously, you just said, you know, that gave you a sense of connection and Mm -hmm. one of the reasons you wanted to. But I love that it's so local because now more than ever with a lot of social media, um, and I think it's just, it's changed so much how we consume media Mm -hmm. that I miss 
local, local media. So yeah. I'll read like, this is Reno and I'll listen to you. And even our town, like I crave the local aspects because it gives you such a sense of community. So talk a totally. little bit about that because there are a couple of episodes that I'll bring up to you and I'm dying to know what your favorite show was too. So think about that. Yeah. So yeah, I think that local media is really, really important. And you're right that in the and I've seen this. When I was growing up, we had like the daily newspaper came and it had all the news. And it was a it was a big newspaper. It with was. A, they had a big newsroom. They had a lot of reporters. I mean, there was always national news in there, too. But there was uh, substantial local news reporting. And before I get too far into this, I don't think of myself as a, a journalist or a news reporter. I think that we can have this whole conversation, too, about kind of the difference between sure. uh, what is news, what is journalism, and what is just media. I think that mm-hmm. the the gatekeeping of being able to participate in the media sphere has kind of gone away. Like media has been democratized, but one of the downsides to that happening on the national level is that most media is geared towards the biggest audience that they can find, which is going to be national issues. It's going to be whatever is like the hot button issues in the news today. Mm -hmm. And it bypasses everything that's happening locally. I don't know that there's really a strong economic model for local news. I'm hoping that I'm wrong. Uh, I'm trying to prove that I'm wrong with this podcast. <laughs> well, I think to your point, there's different types of media and, mm-hmm. and different things in which people want to consume, different types of content, yes. right? I think it just all depends yeah. on sort of your your choice of what that looks like. Yeah. I, I would say this is, to me, like lifestyle, mm-hmm. right? And I love that because it gives me sort of a view into someone that I might not know mm-hmm. and hearing their story. And yeah. so I love, I think it's done with a lot of purpose and intention. And yeah. I like that. Yeah. And I think that the, so the format is something that I am really attached to because I listen to a lot of long form interview shows. And I think that there's a few different types of that. I think there's the really long form, like talking for out the Joe Rogan kind of style of podcast Mm -hmm. that is just like dudes talking for hours, which is a lot. That's a lot. (laughs) And I don't, and I don't expect anyone to want to listen for several hours and I don't want to listen for several hours of just people talking about whatever. But I also think that there's a lot of value in longer form journalism, whether it's audio in my shows about an hour long, long form journalism, like long articles. We read tweets all the time. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you need a long researched, thorough article you need to read you know 10 pages of something for it to be substantive so i really like this hour-long format and that as far as i could tell did not really exist in reno in a local kind of way Mm -hmm. and i don't know that it exists in most cities i think that you have to be a city of a certain size i think that there is obviously a lot of interest in the news so if you are a show like mine that doesn't really do news you might lose audience who they want to hear what's going on today they don't care about sure you know the conversation they want to hear the news But I really like that format, and I just thought, well, why can't that be a thing for a city the size of Reno to have a general interest? Like, it's not just a political show. It's not a business show. It's not any particular one thing, Mm -hmm. right? We're we're a diverse and interesting enough city that there's all kinds of people to talk to. I always say, like, I'm never going to run out of people to talk to in Reno. Like, there's there's plenty of people here. Yeah, so I'm like, okay, well, why don't we have something that I would listen to, right? Like a long form general interest interview show. Not every episode is going to appeal to everybody, but I'd like to think that anyone can scroll through the list of episodes and be like, Oh, I know that person. Oh, I've heard of that organization. Oh, like, yes, there's something for everybody. I think there's a deep connection to that. Yeah. 
And I think it really works in the size of our city. Mm -hmm. Like you said, with a much larger city, I think that would be... You get lost, I think. Right. I think that's that's one of the benefits, I think, for doing this type of show in a city like Reno is I've been doing this a couple of years now, and it really has made me feel very connected to what's going on. And, you know, I run into people who have listened to the show, and it's... Um, very easy like, hey, to feel Connor. connected. Yeah, totally. Like, that's so great. Do they like recognize you off of Instagram? Yeah, sometimes they're like, I was wearing my Reno Whites hat. This is I when I that. first started. This is like a year and maybe like a year and a half ago when I first started the show. I was wearing my Reno Whites hat um, at the the Feed the Camel food trucks. Uh-huh. And someone came up and said, Oh, hey, you, do you do that show? And I talked to him. And um, so now, like, you get to feel like a celebrity a little bit. But then that's someone who now I know who I'm connected with. He uh-huh. just opened a food truck and I helped connect him with. Uh, Melissa Williams, who runs Feed the Camel, and he got some ideas on how to start his truck. So, yeah, I think that being in a city where you can actually meet the people and you can actually interact with people and you don't feel like you're a small fish in a giant pond and you're going to get lost, it's been nice that it's possible for me to, just in a couple of years, build something that really makes me feel connected to the city in a way that is two ways. It's not that I'm just talking out into into the everything. But, you know, people can interact with me on social media. They can see me. I'm going to be at the farmer's market starting on Sundays. So people can, like, come to the farmer's market and say hi to me and pick up some stickers, right? Like, that size of town allows for that kind of interaction, which is really cool. It is. I don't don't think you can do that. But that's what I love about Reno. It's still very, very small Mm -hmm. that we have the ability to connect in that way. Yeah. That's one thing, I think, why we also gravitate back to... Yeah. This biggest little city, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, because I think that there is this kind of sense of loneliness and alienation that you experience in big cities. Even Absolutely. if you have friends, like it's easier to be lonely in a big city where you feel like you're just one of a million people uh, than it is in a city like Reno where it's easy to feel connected because you run into people that you know because there's a sense of familiarity. And I think that you know fights away the loneliness a little bit sometimes. Absolutely. And I think loneliness is really important. I think a lot of people struggle with that. Mm -hmm. And the Surgeon General is actually doing a whole initiative on loneliness. I've been very fortunate to work with him and Mm -hmm. going to work with him the next year on loneliness, Mm -hmm. um, because we're seeing it more and more. And so that's why I love what you do, because it's such a great sense of connection to Mm -hmm. the community. So I, I love how you said that. Thanks. Okay, so I'm dying to know, which episode is your favorite? Oh, that's such a hard question. Like the one I was on? Yeah, that, that one was <laughs> really good. It, well, that was... That I'm w- just kidding. Well, we kind of really talked, was. I think, about some heavy stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't listen to anything I do. I don't watch, like, news clips, and I don't listen to anything mm. I do because I am that person that I hate to hear my voice. I wish I could do that. I, I, I have to edit cringe. every episode. Oh, I have to listen to my voice I don't for know hours how you do and hours. It. I've gotten used to it. I think that... Um, you know, I've just gotten so accustomed to just hearing to my own voice. I talk, all the, I mean, I host DJ Trivia, so I'm on a microphone four nights a week. Right. Um, so I'm just, I've gotten used to it, my, yeah. my voice at this point. Uh, but no, favorite episodes. Your episode was great because I think one of the things that I like to do on the show, a kind of strategy I go into almost every episode with is I want to assume that whoever's listening does not know the person I'm talking to. They don't know how things work. It's like a one-on-one level conversation sometimes. So I try to have this combination of, Each episode is part personal profile. Like, who are you? Why do you do what you do? Why is it important to you? Part of it should be, what is it that you do? Like, what is the basics of your job or Mm -hmm. your business or your thing? Um, I try to think of it like, I want my mom to be able to listen to any episode and be like, I have no idea who this person is, what they do, but I can understand 
within an hour who this person is and what they do. That was a great episode with you because we got to talk about what a mayor does. Because most people, I think, not most people, a lot of people think the mayor is like the king of the city or whatever. Right, right. They think I run the city <laughs> yeah. every day, right? And, yeah. They don't realize that I actually don't run the city. <laughs> no, Doug, Doug Thornley does. <laughs> yes. But even Doug, Doug Thornley, even, so when you're mad, yes. blame him. But, <laughs> but, he, but even Doug, I no. don't think, runs the city himself, right? We True. don't have a, like, city dictator. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And, and people don't realize that I sit on the body of mm-hmm. the council and I have one vote. Right. Like, they have one vote. So yeah. I think people think it's more works more like the governor yeah. where you have executive power right so yeah episodes episodes like that are really good so i i love the episode with you devin was on the show um i've talked to a lot of folks from city council i know wow, that you've got a lot of politicians uh, on here i really i know What's but up I, with that? I don't want it to be a politics show, exactly though, but it just it tends to happen that way <laughs> partly because i mean one of the things i want to do also is have people who are are notable or familiar mm-hmm. and in the world that we live in most of the familiar names tend to be very often political people probably because yeah. they're so it's always a, in the press or yeah. they're making so it's not that i want the show to be po- political but right. it's that if i'm looking around for the most uh like well-known or notable or impactful people a lot of times those are going to be political people mm-hmm. but i've appreciated that i've been able to have them on the show to explain what they actually do and what they actually care about and my show isn't a political debate show i'm not having politicians on and trying to argue with them about specific political issues. And I think that is, um, that's on purpose. Because well, that's what I there's, love there's plenty of that. About what you do. Yeah. <laughs> because I never hear you sort of waver one side or the other. You don't interject your opinion. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think that I have some opinions and I try to be thoughtful about when and how I include those in the podcast. Because I... Again, I want this show to be able to appeal to anybody, and if I am, whatever my actual personal politics are, which, you know, are probably more extreme than I let on on the show, uh-huh. um, that is because I want people to understand that this show is for them, even if they don't agree with exactly. me, even if, how do I put this? I think that there is a place for more heated, more, we'll call it substantive, political mm-hmm. debate about mm-hmm. the important issues and to really hash out what we should be doing and what works and doesn't, those are really important issues. And we have some really great local actual journalists who do that work. Mm-hmm. And there are people who want to do that work. There are mm-hmm. people who are passionate about that work. And I'm grateful for them, and I want them to do that. But I don't think that everybody has to be that. Mm-hmm. I don't think that we have like a moral obligation to have a strong political stance mm-hmm. on every issue. So it's almost like this like tiny act of rebellion to be like, you know what? I have a strong opinion, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to make that my personality because yeah. But I do. I think that's what makes you so good because that's a skill. Mm. That is a skill. Cause I'm sure it does does take some restraint sometimes. Right. Because I'm sure sometimes you're hearing things and you're, Mm. you you might have a strong opinion about it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so how do you like not, get engaged in yeah. the, in the conversation. But yeah. that's what I think is a really good skill yeah. about you. Or if I do get engaged, how do I do it in a way that's um that's more respectful and that's more about me listening sure. than me like pontificating? Cuz I do it's a tough balance because I do think I have something to say. I don't want to silence myself. Some issues are really important, some things I do really want to speak on. 
So I don't want to put myself in a box and say, oh, well, I'm super neutral. I never have a take on anything. But when I do have those more nuanced or debate type conversations, I do try to go into them less as a, I'm going to prove that I'm right about this thing and prove that you're wrong. I'd much rather go into a debate as, okay, well, this is what I think and I'm going to express it and maybe we'll find some common ground and maybe we won't. But I think that it's an attitude of how you go into those conversations. Mm -hmm. And I think I used to be a big arguer and now I'm just, uh, I'm a big Wow, you know, conversation person. I'd much rather have a conversation than an argument. I can't see you like that because you're like super mellow. (laughs) And one thing I love about you that your listeners probably don't know, and I didn't know this until we had sort of a long conversation, the way that you truly convey gratitude, Mm. like it's a big part of your life about being grateful. And it just was so refreshing how you talked about it and it had just so much meaning, Mm -hmm. just your level of gratitude. I think a lot of people probably don't know that about you. And I think it's, I think it's very attractive in that sense that just it's rare. I I thank you for, for, for seeing that and for thinking that I think that for me, where I come to that really is a, this is getting into kind of like bigger, you know, social issues, but it comes from a place of understanding privilege. And there's a lot of conversation about various privileges that people have or don't have. And I'm fully aware that I have basically won a number of pure random luck lotteries in being Mm -hmm. like a white man and having some level of financial security of having generally good health. I mean, I have my own issues and struggles. No one's life is perfect. But I think that when you're lucky, when you're you know, you stumble ass backwards into a life that is good with a lot less struggle and work than a lot of other people have to go through mm-hmm. to live a good life. You do owe it to yourself and the world to recognize that. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to feel bad about it. You don't have to, I don't think you have an obligation to make that the the central part of your life where you're always thinking about your privileges and non-privileges and those kind of things. But I do think you have some degree of obligation to, at least internally, absolutely recognize like, oh, shit, I am lucky. We are. Yes. We're blessed just to be uh, Americans, live yeah. in a wonderful country. Yeah. And I think that, so that gratitude, I think that just comes from, it starts with, I'm grateful that I have all of what I have without, you know, I've worked for a lot of things that I have, but a lot of it's just, you know, yeah. it's dumb luck. And then that's just kind of expanded out. It's really mostly just in the last handful of years, too. I think I've embraced that more and realized that it's a good thing to kind of shape the way you think about the world, starting from a place of just gratitude for the things that you have. Has that, do you think that's made you more open-minded, too? Because you said you used to be more argumentative. Yeah. You, you, and so it, it's just such a very different person you're describing. Yeah. Yeah, I do think that that having that kind of sense of gratitude for the things I have has probably made me more, more open-minded in that it has chilled me out a little bit on all of the arguing stuff and all of the fighting and all of like the high-intensity politics. Because I am very interested in politics and what's happening in the world. But I'm not a you know, an online debater the way that I used to be. I don't, I don't need to prove everyone wrong and prove myself right all of right. the time. And I think part of that does come from, I'm grateful for the peace that comes from not being always engaged in like head to head struggle with people. And I think that's one of the things that 
also I'm grateful for is that I have chosen to kind of opt out of a lot of the high stress ways of being and communicating. And that has made me feel better and more at peace and less anxious all the time. Yeah. And I think that just starting there and having that little bit of, okay, I'm like, it feels nice that I have a little bit of peace in the way that I communicate with people that opens the door to a lot more conversations. If I'm not fighting with someone as soon as they open their mouth, maybe we can actually connect on something. And I don't have to agree with everybody on everything, but yeah, I think that enjoying that, that ability to step away from all of the, the heat has brought around more opportunity to, to connect with people. Right. Well, the other thing I, I don't think people realize because it's just, it's how we operate today. But the other thing is that choice. Like I put myself on a content diet. I got mm-hmm. off of Facebook a long time ago and I couldn't believe how much my stress level actually like went down. Oh yeah. It was, it was really amazing. So it's like one of the best things I've ever done for my mental health. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny cause it's so addictive even if you don't like it right so So, uh like we get hooked on the outrage and it's what a horrible quirk of our brains that we can be addicted to stress hormones but that's how it works right you know we think of oh we want we need the dopamine we think of dopamine as like oh yeah it's when you get like a a taste of something good right it's like a spike of a positive thing in your brain but we're also like hopelessly addicted to the the cortisol or whatever like the stress hormone stuff too like sure we're we're seeking that stuff out, whether we realize it or not online a lot of times. So I think that that is one of the challenges of social media now is that it's all algorithmically sorted to, you feed know, into to feed into what whatever you're like, sort of you're seeking, exactly. Right? And, and we have this instinctual need to like be mad a lot, I think, I of don't, course. which is very frustrating. I know, you like, should check my email. I, right. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I wish lots I lots of people are yeah. mad, but yeah. then I get wonderful email too. I mean, some. I mean, that's what I feel so mm-hmm. blessed about being in a community where people are generally really, really kind. Yeah. But I think to your point, I think there, especially right now, there seems to be a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety. You know, one of the things that's important for me is mental health and mm-hmm. our community, and so sort of checking in with that. Yeah. And being aware. And like I said, putting yourself on a content diet. Mm. And I think part of it too is like, you get back what you put out. So and true. so one of the things that I, what I try to do both with this podcast and with any kind of work that I do is I don't want people to be negative towards me. So I try not to be negative out to the world. The sure. more I think I were to complain about things or criticize people or, you know, really lean into that way of being, the more you get back of that. And again, for some people, that's good. They want it. They need it. That's helpful for them. It's part of their industry. Yeah. And, and for me, I just, I kind of just want to be nice and I feel like I want people to be Are nice to me. Are people mean to you? No, they aren't. Oh, but okay, good. <laughs> they, they aren't, but I have this like constant, uh, not huge fear, but there's like, Always this, and I'm curious your experience of it too, as like a public figure, since I've seen so much like rampant negativity and criticism sure. in my life in various forms, right? that now I'm doing something that opens the door to potential you, criticism. Sure. It, so it kind of vulnerable. Puts, yeah. It makes you vulnerable, yeah, right? And, and it does put me a little bit on 
maybe not like on the defensive, but it makes me cognizant of if I am thoughtless Mm -hmm. and go a little too negative in the way that I communicate with people, I am opening the door to that becoming a more consistent part of my life. And I do not want that. But I think that's easier for people to do. And I tend to live in very negative circles because of politics. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's constant, constant negativity. So for me, I feel like a lot of people, that would be the easier way to go. And that's why I was saying what I love about you and Renoites Mm -hmm. is you're so aware of not doing that. And I think it brings more people in. I think I'd like to think so. And I mean, I know that it invites criticism too, because there are probably, I'm sure there are people who view the way that I approach media and conversation and politics as taking the easy road of not asking the hard questions. I read a lot of media criticism in general, and I am aware of the issues with like both sides-ism in politics. And it's not the worst thing in the world, I guess, to just not, not engage. Again, I can leave that for other people. I have given myself permission, and I have had so many years of incredibly high stress. I used to be very more interested in politics. I mean, I'm still interested in politics, but I was more actively engaged. Like, I worked on a political campaign. I have followed politics very closely in the past, and I've been very miserable in the past. You just talked about mental health. My mental health over the course of my life very often has been horrific like really really bad i've struggled with you seem so grounded like the conversations that we have i guess i'm surprised to hear you say that you struggle with your own mental health and this is a really good reminder because to me and we don't know each other that well i've just been on your show and Mm -hmm. we get to run into each other around town and you know and i love that and but i do love that you're so positive that's one of the reasons why i like to listen to it cuz i know when i listen to it i'm going to actually be educated mm. and i'm not going to be stressed out <laughs> right right but for people that don't know you mm. you are incredibly kind engaging you're intelligent um uh, you know whenever i walked up you're like hey <laughs> hi you know um i think you just have an energy about you that's very positive mm-hmm. so i guess just meeting you on a surface level, I would think that, yeah. you know, you don't struggle with mental health or anxiety or depression or things like that. Yeah, surprise. <laughs> See, uh, and that's where I think yeah. that we have to take a step back and oh, yeah. realize you have no idea what someone else struggles with. Mm-hmm. And we tend to be so judgmental of others. And that's one thing is that I always try, because we talked a little bit about this in the social media mm-hmm. aspect. I get a lot of criticism. It's part of what I do. And then I also think people don't realize that I'm actually a human being. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I will DM them back. I'm not on social media a lot. I, I'm just saying that, especially right now in my life, because things have been a little hectic and crazy. I just have to step back And also, I have to remember, this isn't about me, this is about them. Right. But if you want it to be about both of us, let's have a productive conversation. Mm -hmm. And let's actually meet face to face, because it's so easy to be judgmental and criticize. And it's hard. And I think also, too, I mean, I just worry about, especially teenagers that are consuming so much social media, I think it's Mm -hmm. incredibly difficult for them to navigate. And there was this study that I was reading about, and they had asked 10 teenagers about their level of anxiety before taking a selfie. So they checked their anxiety Mm. level. Once they took the selfie and they posted it, the anxiety level went to like 10. Mm. 
okay, on a scale of one to 10. It yeah. went to 10 because they were seeking acceptance from their friends or mm-hmm. from other people online, right? Yeah. And so to me, that was really interesting to see how that acceptance and anxiety and sort of the peace where it can be really dangerous on your mental health. Mm-hmm. But I just love that about you because you talked about all these things that are so positive, but at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, you've struggled. Well, part part of it is that I think I recognized that when I was more judgmental, when I was more deeply involved in all of these conversations and debates and those kind of things, I was incredibly depressed and lonely a lot of times, and it was not a good experience for my mental health. So now I know what it is like to be very angry and very sad and very depressed. I know all of those things as a whole, all together. I know what that feels like, and I don't want to go there. And I know exactly what brings me there Mm -hmm. through my own lived experience. I know what causes my worst mental states. Mm -hmm. And since I know that, I know to avoid it. And I know what I can do to protect my own happiness. And not just my own happiness, but my own relationships, my own work experiences. Everything in my life is better when I've given myself permission to just be happy and just be nice and just try to go with my life as it is to to roll with the punches to try to i don't like this like good versus bad idea of like do the right thing versus the wrong thing i think that's sure. it's not uh not enough nuance in that way but if anyone's going to criticize me for being too nice or too soft that's fine Right, if that's the cost of I know. me how being dare happy, you? how dare you be so yeah so nice and kind? If if, if the cost of right? of me being happy is that some people think that I'm a a, a bit soft, mm-hmm. fine, like I'm a softy then, right? If that if I'm gonna be soft and happy, I'll take it Why because because I know care, the alternative. Though? Why do you think we care what other people think of us? Oof, I don't know, but I'm obsessed with. I mean, this is. Um, this is what I talk about with my therapist all the time. Like, why am I so concerned with what other people think? And I think it, you know, comes from when we're younger. You know, I think that I... Right, is this this terrible thing our parents did to us? I mean, we're out there, like, seeking acceptance. I mean, you die laughing. Let me just tell you one thing. After a council meeting, my mother will call me Mm -hmm. and go, why are you wasting your life? (laughs) I'm like, thanks, Mom. I Uh, thought I was making you proud, right? right? So you try to... Yeah. And I mean... Really, like, honestly, I want to make her proud. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that it's, um, you know, a lot of it's from when I was younger. I just didn't feel like I was, like, popular or cool or whatever, right? So I think that you get this idea in your formative adolescent years of this is what it means to be accepted Accepted. or to have a sense of community or family or welcoming or whatever that looks like. And for young people, it's like, how many friends do you have? Like, how many people text you? How, you know, how many plans do you have for the weekend or whatever? And I think that as a young person, that did kind of get cemented in my mind. Like, your worth is based on two things. It's how much and how many people like you Mm -hmm. and how much you can produce or make or whatever in the in the in the marketplace right so it's this very capitalistic idea of like how do i measure my worth based on number of people or number of monies that messed me up from a really young age and i think a lot of people that is still their conception of where their value comes from is how how popular i am and how um, much i do or make and it is really hard to 
unprogram that. And I mean, obviously, I still fully haven't because part of the thing that I enjoy about this show is I do get that little hit of dopamine from feeling like people like me. And it's not that I'm doing the show to be popular, but I'm a realistic person. And I definitely recognize that there's some part of like, you know, child Connor who's like, Oh, yay. Like, yeah. people like me. Um, so that's part of the reason that I do this thing. I Probably not the healthiest so reason, honest but it's there. And, like, really being intentional, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I, I think that is fantastic. And I think there's, there's nothing wrong with, with wanting those things. Well, I don't think go into politics then. Right. Oh, <laughs> it's, I mean, I think that it it's would... It's tough. I like the idea of being able to affect change in the place that we live. But I do think that I am probably a little too sensitive for the uh, the arena mm-hmm. in politics because it can be brutal. Yeah. I mean, here's one example. So I worked on the Pete Buttigieg campaign. Oh, uh, and it was great. Mayor I, had, Pete. I yeah, Mayor Pete. Yeah. I had a, I had a, a generally a great experience. But one of the things that happened was it's very dorky. But at the events for the campaign, they had like a. Uh, like a little dance that goes with the the song. He's uh-huh. like walk on song at events. Uh-huh. And at the Carson City parade, I like was taught some volunteers how to do the dance. I was uh-huh. standing in the back of my mom's pickup truck, like demonstrating the dance. And a few days later, a handful of very big Twitter accounts posted it as like cringe, extreme cringe, like, uh-huh. oh my God, dorkiest kid in the world, like bleach my eyeballs. Just like cruel. It was brutal. And like just that, I think that is like almost radicalizing is not the right word, but mm-hmm. I think that moment when I just really felt the pure unadulterated mm-hmm. cruelty and bullying mm-hmm. that takes place in the political world, mm-hmm. that was a game changer for me. I think that was when I realized, you know what? Um, I'm not going to do this, mm-hmm. right? Like I want to be able to make change. There are definitely things that I could do in the political realm, but yeah, I've had enough experiences of feeling like shamed and bullied. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely not moving into a world where that's the norm. Right. So yeah, that was a pretty impactful thing when I kind of felt that the political world, there's a lot of people that are doing a lot of good work and a lot of people who care about a lot of things, but there's also a lot of like just truly cruel bullies who oh, who sure. want to uh, want to take people down and want to hurt people. 100%. And and I don't want to It's pretty I don't want to be in that world with It's them. pretty yeah. cruel, I will tell you that. And sadly, it's changed a lot. From when I first got into politics to today, it's at a whole new level, which mm-hmm. is really um, unfortunate. Because there are a lot of people doing really, really good work, and then it doesn't matter. You could, if you're an elected official, they immediately are like, "Oh, you're corrupt. You're mm-hmm. you're corrupt. You're this or that. You know, you yeah. approved a housing project. You're corrupt. How dare you?" Right? There's like this whole narrative. It's mm-hmm. really. Um, it's very toxic, and that's so unfortunate, especially because we want we want our future generations to go on and do some really great work. Yeah, I mean, I, it's important work. There's mm-hmm. a lot of important policy to do and yeah. um, change that needs to happen, right? And I think the best politicians are doing it out of some maybe negative experience that mm. they want to change for someone else, and that was sort of how I ended up in it and had no idea I would ever get the opportunity to run for office, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I think that there's this kind of toxic overlap of celebrity culture and political culture. Mm -hmm. I mean, Donald Trump's the biggest example of that is he's just a a media figure, Mm -hmm. right? And then that turned into politics and people want that. I think that the the circus of the entertainment world 
has come into politics. I think cable news did that. I think sure. that uh, even podcasts, I know like my podcast is not that political, but I think the world of political discourse is not always benefited from having everyone have access to a microphone to to make celebrity and attention the root of your politics mm -hmm. rather than, you know, policy and ideas. Exactly. So that's uh Can that's I ask you, yeah. are you a party? Oh, am I like a part of a political party? Yeah. Not really. I mean, I always I always vote for the Democrats because right now the Republican Party is entirely off the rails um so are just you like registered a d oh, I'm, I'm registered as a i'm registered as a democrat okay if, if i don't like the two-party system we could have a whole conversation i don't about, even get me going i'm a nonpartisan. i cannot uh, take it i, I can't i want rank i want ranked, I I want ranked choice voting system. i definitely want ranked choice voting that was one thing definitely. that I, i'm a big advocate for i do too i would love to see that i think that just having this two-party system and having to be put in a box of this party or that party is terrible i think that the closed primaries that's another part of this ranked choice sure. uh, initiative is to have open primaries because right now totally we have this system where basically the republicans to win the primary have to be the most insane version of like a anti-trans homophobic anti-crt election theft whatever just insane that's the only way they can win a primary and then so they're all racing to the right the incentive to run to the extreme to win the primary, that is a problem. And I think that if we restructure the way that we vote so that the incentive is to just be normal, like most, <laughs> it's like, just that, be normal. That shouldn't I be, like that. that Let's should, put that on a right? Just be normal. It should not be asking that much for people who are running for major office to be normal and understand the concerns of regular people. Mm -hmm. I think that Speaking of being online too much, politicians need to get off Twitter because they are Thank you. like deep in this kind of weird Twitter Thank world. You. I agree with yeah, that. I, I always say like you shouldn't. I, I I think if you're on social media all the time, especially as a politician, mm -hmm. what I think in my mind is like, why aren't you doing the work? Right. Like go do the work. And yeah. that's one thing I always have a sort of a pet yeah. peeve. But I agree with you. And I was a big supporter of that initiative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I hope that that, um, I'm not sure the current status on it, but I uh, am hopeful that we can do that in Nevada. I know that in Alaska, I they have so open too. primaries and ranked choice. I think that that has benefited them to weed out some of the more extreme candidates. I think that's great. But I also, I don't know, whenever I get into political conversation, it just feels like such a minefield because of course. someone is going to say, you know, how dare you compare both parties as if they're the same? And it's like, I didn't do that. I didn't say that both parties are the same. But there's this, this tendency in political conversation to just read in 10 more steps from anything anyone says. If you say this, it means you actually say this and you're actually thinking that and you're actually aligned with that right. person. It's like, well, I didn't say or do any of those things, but... Well, that's the right. hard part now. Well, and that happens a lot with me. Oh, I'm sure. So they might read, you know, a headline hmm. and not really understand why you voted that way. Yeah. And then afterwards, they're like, oh, I get it now, right? And that's why I do try to reach out as much as possible. Yeah. Let's have the conversation. But I find that people don't even want to have the conversation. No. Yeah. Or I would say, hey, I'd love to explain this to you. And that's what I constantly find is they don't even want to have a conversation. Yeah. I mean, that's why I do conversation on this show. I mean, if I wanted to just debate and, you know, have bad faith arguments, sure, there's places for that. I can do that on Twitter. But that's not what I want to do. I'd rather have conversations. And um, that's why I like the format of what I do. 
I think I, it's I much think more meaningful. They're, they're, it's more, they're, it's more substantive. It's much more meaningful. You come I, away from it I feeling think, better than you do. You know, and guess what? what do if they don't want this type of content, yeah, you, you they can go somewhere else, oh, right? Yeah. So that's, that's that, the, yeah. what's so great. We have a choice. Yes. So remember, we talked about choices. Mm-hmm. So I want to get back a little bit, and because you were so kind and said our episode, um, which is not true. Oh, another. Come oh, on. Yeah. Okay. You can't so, use, let's exempt okay, that. You an- can't use okay. our episode. So another, let's exempt that. Great you have to. I I want to know what's another episode resonated with you. Let's see. I, you know what I've really enjoyed? So I've done a handful of live episodes the last seven or eight months at Black Rabbit Mead. About once a month, I do a live taping in front of an audience. And the ones that have been the best are the ones that have an event kind of tied to them. So I did an episode with Spoken Views Poetry Collective. And they do. They have an open mic at Shims on Monday nights. Love Shims, by and, the way. Yes. If you haven't been, you got to go. Yeah, I, ha- I had Zach Cage from uh, the Brewers Cabinet oh, on the Good. podcast yeah. too. So he, the you know, Brewers Cabinet, Sierra Tap House, Old Bridge, Shims, all the same family of businesses. So I had Zach on the show. But so I've done these live episodes at Black Rabbit Mead, and one of them was with Spoken Views Poetry Collective. So every year yeah. they have a spooky themed poetry slam uh-huh. around Halloween. I love it. And it's a you know it's a big event for them. Uh-huh. All of the local poetry community comes out and we did a live episode with that one and i'm not a poetry person really i f- feel like i don't get it a lot of times i'll read right. poetry i'm like right i know this is supposed to mean something and like evoke an emotion in me but i don't really but i'm not connecting I, I don't speak that I language because it. it's an art yeah sure. and it's one that i just i don't have the the background and and, and knowledge on so we did a live episode with them and it was great because I got to, we had a full audience of all of these poets in the local community and also normal people who, not normal, also people who don't know that much about poetry. And so I got to, again, ask these kind of like very basic questions about what is the difference between this type of poetry Poetry. and that type of poetry, right? Like how does the poetry slam thing work? What is your experience like doing poetry in Reno? How's Reno for poetry? So I got to engage with them as a very, I don't know anything person. Sure. And then- they had the poetry slam and I got to see all these poets perform and that was recorded too and went out on the podcast feed. So that was a really fun one because it had this live component. It had a live audience. I got to learn a lot about an art that I think is really important and valuable Mm -hmm. that I didn't know anything about. So that was really fantastic. The live episodes have been really, really fun. I'm very, yeah. Yeah. I think it's just, it's a different dynamic. Like I do love, I love the one-on-one interview. I mean, that's the reason that I do the show that way, but it's nice to have a little bit of a, you know, a different dynamic Every now and then on the show. Yeah, I like it. Can I just tell you my favorite episode? Mm-hmm. Is when you were interviewing Mark Robinson from RGJ. Mm-hmm. I did not know. Now I'm going to date myself here. Because I'm a lot older than you. but Not that much. Well, yes, I am. <laughs> I'm not going to say, but I am. But I did not know that Mark Robinson is sort of... A, he comes from the old punk days yeah. of Reno. Yeah. I think And I, has a tattoo. Yeah, he's got like an anarchy seven, symbol on his hand or yeah, his arm or, or something. Seven seconds right? or something. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. So I just loved to sort of hear about him as a person and just like I don't know, it was just very cool to get sort of that insight. Yeah. I do on try- who he is. And just, you know, it's funny how we evolve and we sort of grow up. And But still, those things shape us. Oh, totally. I mean, I think that's one of the fun things about the show and that I try to do is include that element of who is this person? Because why should I care what someone 
talks about if I don't even know who they are. If they're just a random disembodied voice and I have no idea where they came from, what they do, why why it matters to them, I'm not going to take it as as seriously. Sure. And so I try to include that in most of the conversations. Is like again, when you're sitting down one on one in a conversation, it's much easier to talk to someone like a person. And sure. when you're listening to a one on one conversation, I think it's easier to recognize those participants as actual people. Mm-hmm. And I think that in this fast media is what you called it the other day when we were talking, this kind of Twitter form of media, yes. of everything is just stripped of all of the context. It's, you don't take it as seriously. You don't recognize where people are coming from. So yeah, I'm glad that you appreciate that about those type of episodes because I, I want people who listen to the show to feel like they met someone who lives in their city. Not that they just heard some opinions or some takes or, you know, learned a little bit of how things work. I want them to be like, oh, if I ran into that person, I would feel like I know them. I would feel like I, you know, could say hi to them even. Exactly. Right? And I think that's I love that's an that. important element of the show. Yeah, it it really is. I Again, I think it brings back, you know, connection. The other one that I loved that you did was with Christopher Palaha. Yeah. I was impressed that with was the great. questions you asked him. Yeah, it, well, it was great. So for people who haven't listened to the Christopher Palaha episode, he is from Reno originally, but he's a working actor. He lives in L.A. And um, it was great to have him on the show and talk about not just his career, because we don't have, you know... Uh, a lot of people that come out of Reno that go on to work in in movies and TV. Well, it's hard to it's a hard business oh, to totally. break into. Yeah. And it was great because yeah, we got to have a good conversation not just about the work he does, but really one of the things that I appreciated about talking to him was both about his career and kind of why he does what he does, but also him as a person, like his faith. So he's a person of faith and right. he does a lot of you know, of faith films and that's something that's really important to him. I was glad to be able to include that on the episode. Like, I'm not a particularly religious person myself, but being able to let people share who they really are and what they really care about, I think there's a lot of value in that. And I think that a lot of mainstream media, I mean, I'm sure that he does media with, like, Christian media and gets to talk about God all he wants, Mm -hmm. but I think that a lot of, you know, traditional media probably wouldn't really give him that question or that opportunity. You know, it's nice to let people talk about the things that really mean a lot to them. So yeah, I'm glad I you, really yeah. enjoyed it because I think it probably resonated with a lot of younger people that might aspire to mm-hmm. go into acting. Yeah, and he's just an incredibly generous man and comes back a lot to do mm-hmm. a lot of great work in the community, especially with the Down Syndrome Network. Yeah, but yeah, we, I, we went to um, they had an event shortly after yes. the episode that I that I went to at the um, I can't remember which one it was Ferrari Ferrari, Ferrari. Farms I think yeah. you were at Ferrari Farms yeah yeah and. I just loved the episode because I think you got to see a local side to him. Mm -hmm. And that's what it touched on. And I think we could all relate to that local side. And then we all felt very connected, I think, after hearing him. Well, since since we were talking about actors, I would be remiss not to mention on this episode, since I have you sitting right here and everyone listening... Uh, Jeremy Renner, come on my show. If you know, if you know Jeremy Renner, <laughs> you know Jeremy I've, been, Renner. I've been I've been trying. I've, I send messages on Instagram and stuff. But if you have a direct connection to Jeremy <laughs> Renner, just like give him my number, please, because I think that would be really fun. I, you know, I'm not a big but he's celebrity not from guy. Here. I know, he's actually, but I think from Modesto. Yeah, but he's like I think really, especially recently, 
been doing a lot. Like doing he's, a he was at the legislature trying to get like more media stuff. He did the a renovation show they recorded yes. at the um, at the generator. So I'm not a huge celebrity person. I actually I don't watch most of the superhero movies. I haven't actually seen any of the Hawkeye movies. Sorry, Jeremy. I have guess what? <laughs> I haven't either. Okay. Well, no seen, no one tell him that part I if you invite seen him on the any show. Of them. I think I've seen one, which is actually a really good movie, mm-hmm. um, Wind River. No, no, no. That no. is an excellent movie. I would yeah. say that. And then I have not seen Mission Impossible. Mm. Oh, yeah. No, I saw that one. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen see a handful that. of movies that he's been in. And I'm not like, again, I'm not like super into celebrity culture and stuff. Yeah, either. But I, I, but I, I do don't think even have TV. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't. I Like I said, I put myself on a content diet. That's probably pretty smart. Yeah, I think that um, it would be cool, though, just for notability of the show. Mm-hmm. I think it would be really nice. And it's fun to have, you know, I had Brian Sandoval on a couple months ago. And it feels kind of cool to be like, I hey, I had, that you know, one. I, it was great. It, it was really was good. And I mean, he's super, speaking of politics, right? To go back to that just for a second, we had a little conversation about the experience of being a politician who has broad appeal. He was reelected with like 70%, 70 something percent of he the vote. He was very liked by both sides. Yeah. And I would say because he is such a nice human being. Yeah. He is such a nice man. Yeah, that matters. <laughs> And the way he treats people all the time really matters. I know Mm -hmm. that we both have to go, so we're going to have to wrap this up. And I know we probably just sort of talked on my last question because, I don't know, I'm starting to do some things that are a little bit different. I am going to do a podcast, Mm -hmm. and it's called If You Were Mayor, because I think a lot of people have great ideas out there, but they would never run for office. And Mm -hmm. you talked about it today. I I meet a lot of especially young people that want to run for office, but they say that it's just too hard on their heart right and they're so worried about being criticized but also i think there's a lot of busy people out there but Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that they don't have great ideas yeah and so i want to ask you if you were mayor Mm. tell me what you would do oh that's such a good question um well i know that the mayor has limited abilities So I'm not. Yeah, I'm not going to say. I, we if, if, if I if I if were you the have mayor, the magic wand, yes, or I, do I you would wanna, I would solve the housing want, crisis, yeah, right. right? So we'll do yeah. the magic wand yes. one, and then realistic, because that's yeah. the other thing is people don't realize you don't have that kind of right. power. Yeah, if I had like so um, magic wand, magic wand power, I would probably. I think the biggest issue that we're facing both in Reno and uh, a lot of other places is housing and homelessness. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the solution to those things is I hate to, uh, I'm generally anti-capitalist about a lot of things, but I do think that supply and demand is a real thing. It and is. if there's not enough Absolutely. housing, you need, That's to economics build, 101 you need to build more housing. Um, so if I were the mayor with a magic wand, I would make it incredibly easy to build housing of all types everywhere. And I know you don't have the ability to just do that by writ. But if you... But you have th- you can do things that are easier, yeah. like take take away parking, uh, parking requirements. requirements. Yes. Right? Yeah. Setbacks, those yes. kinds of things, so you make it easier. But, Absolutely. But also a lot of people, I notice when they reach out, they're angry that you're building. And they're like, oh, you're in the pocket of developers. It, but it's not that like that. Crazy. You realize people... Yeah. Because what happens is people will hold housing hostage mm-hmm. because there's nowhere to go. 
And then your landlord, that's when your landlord can be like, oh, we're really going to jack up yeah. rates on you because we know we can. Right. Right. So that's really holding yeah. people hostage. I think I think the solution to like everyone complains that the rent is too high and it's because landlords don't have to worry about competing on rent because where else are you going to go? But if you build more and housing, you build more housing, all of a sudden you got landlords who have to compete to get you in and they're going to that's where you start getting the move-in specials and then you get the rents mm-hmm. cut and those kind of things like there are cities those dying cities that we talked about they have insane vacancy and they're it's easy to find an affordable place to live because mm-hmm. there's so much vacancy yeah, they have to be competitive yeah and here it's it's just not there and i don't know what the actual powers are that a mayor can do not i know not all that much but yes i think that things like Parking minimum, setback requirements, even some building code stuff. One of the things I follow a lot of like the NIMBY versus YIMBY discourse Mm -hmm. on Twitter. Uh And one of the like the YIMBY things that I hear the yes in my backyard is things like single staircase buildings. So we have building codes that require my general understanding is there needs to be like two two points of egress from any kind of building that you build. And it's for fire safety. But we have fire suppression systems. And in most of the world, they can have these single staircase buildings that create so much more opportunity for different types of units. You can have units that a family can live in. You can have, exactly. um, I also think like ADUs. ADUs are, honestly, I'm a big supporter of of ADUs. And well, to your point, what happens, what we see is that the codes are very antiquated Mm -hmm. and it takes a lot of time to sort of update those. And that's what we've been doing at the city. Mm -hmm. And I actually think we've been pretty aggressive on doing some of these things to, you know, continue to bring in more housing but to your point it really is it's supply and demand but i I agree with you all those codes need to be changed and i and we've been talking and doing it but also on the every level even Mm. on the business side i mean you know firsthand like with dj trivia Mm -hmm. that was a ridiculous code Mm -hmm. and so that's that's what needs to change so we're working on that but it takes a long time but again that's why people end up hating government because there's a lot of red tape and it shouldn't be that way uh, agreed entirely. I think that that is the frustrating thing. And I, I've been encouraged. I mean, we're definitely not building as much as I would like to see. I, you know, I think that we have so many people moving here, we couldn't possibly build fast enough. That's right. But it is kind of encouraging to see some of these more dense buildings going in downtown. So I live That's close good. to downtown and yes. I'm seeing a lot of That's these smart buildings. Yeah, be these like five, infill, five infill, over infill. one exactly. infill buildings. Infill. So that is that is encouraging. So yeah, I think that um, more of that, if I were mayor for the day and i have the magic wand mm-hmm. just more housing the, the more places for people to live absolutely uh, and it is a frustrating thing when i see people criticizing housing for housing needs to be affordable but the way that it gets affordable is when there's enough of it so that it becomes affordable and when people are critical of development and critical of new housing because it is branded as luxury which doesn't actually mean it's luxury just because a building says oh we're a luxury apartment complex and we have you know fancy countertops that doesn't mean that it's a luxury project so whenever whenever kind of anti-development people talk about luxury housing i'm always kind of like wait a second you're doing their marketing for them and calling it a luxury building (laughs) uh but it's frustrating because so you don't build it and then you have people who are homeless and don't have a place to live so i'd much rather have um housing of all kinds then um, right and you need housing of all of all types yes. you absolutely need housing of all types i think what i get frustrated at is that i i guess we approve a project and someone will come and you know speak out against it mm-hmm. but we just approved their development 
mm. five years before that. Mm. <laughs> and so I think that I've seen that happen yeah. a lot, actually. And that could be frustrating. Like, why wouldn't you want the same thing that other people should be afforded to have? Like, mm-hmm. I think in the North Valleys, they should be able to have great amenities like we have right here. Yeah. So that's where I get frustrated. Okay, yeah. so... Well, that's a good one because you you actually answer that very realistically. What else? Mm. One more. You get the sort of unrealistic. Let's go for... Okay. What's the actual realistic thing that... that, um... No, that's realistic. Oh, that's the realistic one. Because we're doing that. Oh, what's my magic wand thing then? Yeah. Magic wand, a time machine to make all of the Jacob stuff happen now (laughs) instead of in God knows when. And I know that it takes time to build things. I know that... Uh, you know, I'm an impatient person and I think everything can happen overnight and that isn't actually the way that it works. But I think that the, the conversation about the neon line district, the frustrations about what's happening or not happening, the, uh, you know, the approach of not having a clear outline of what's happening and when. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people keep seeing Jacobs come back and say, Oh, well, we want to do this now. Oh, well, we want to do that. And that's frustrating when like there's no, there, where's, where's the doors, right? Like, I think we also create a little bit of that. We did something different on that project, which was a development agreement. Mm-hmm. We actually thought that that would be the right way to go for various reasons. And it's the first one that we've done mm-hmm. because we wanted to do it because it was such a massive scale, right? Yeah. And I think because it's the first one, you know, you're always having to change it, but we also thought it would mm-hmm. be more transparent. Mm-hmm. And actually, the narrative is on the opposite side, which has been so frustrating. I think if we could do it over again, mm-hmm. I think we would have just done the regular process, yeah. which actually is not the best way to do a large scale mm-hmm. project like that. It's really not. But I think because it's a new concept for us, that there was a lot of pushback. Yeah. And then there became this narrative of, oh, he's not doing this, he's not doing that. And I mean, I have to tell you, it's actually, I think, I wish people would understand when someone wants to come in your city and invest in jobs mm. and revitalization. And I get change is hard, but that is actually a really good thing. Oh, when yeah. Someone wants to make a significant amount of investment. And then I would say this, um, and he's a very, very nice man, I think, because you know people perceive him to be very wealthy that they think one way of him mm. and he cares deeply about mental health he's actually done a lot of really good initiatives that and he never wants to be recognized mm. and donates a lot of money to charity a lot and does a lot of really good charity work to me i mean he's i've said hey we'd like to you know thank you for doing this that he's absolutely not i don't mm. want my name anywhere i you know i want to do this just because it's the right thing mm. to do well he's invited on the show if he changes his oh <laughs> well let's see if we can get him on let's in, see in, i don't anytime. talk to him a lot well, i barely I mean, talk to him but yeah i think that would be a great invite and I, I think so because i think that again a lot of people talk about things that are going on, but I like to talk to people. And I think that it would be for me really interesting and hopefully for listeners to just hear the guy talk about what he's trying to do for an hour, because everything we hear is through several layers of PR or whatever. Yeah. But you know, I'm also not going to lie. Not everything is perfect. Right. I know that we're going to make mistakes with every project that we do. I mean, there's some obviously that are better than others, Mm -hmm. but a lot of times people will come and say, oh, we're going to do this. And then that's not what they do. Mm. And, 
you know, like Lake Ridge, that project was really, really hard for me. And, you know, I voted against it. And so, and we need the housing, right? And that's tough when you do that, because you know how desperately you need it. Mm -hmm. But I just think not everything is going to be perfect. And so people need to realize that the council's not like, hey, we just want to push this through because, you know, we're on the take with developers. I mean, some of the things you hear and see are just so far out there. That's not even close to what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, you you learn a lot more from talking to people than just hearing about people. And I think that everything's always going to have more nuance than than we see at kind of the surface. But I think especially in things like politics and development and all that, it's very easy for a narrative to just be the right. story. I loved having this opportunity to sit down with you. And I hope your listeners now have an idea of who you are and what you're about and why you're doing what you do. I just thought it was so important because I'm listening to all your stuff and I'm not hearing about you and I want to know about you. And I think your listeners want to know about you, but I want to say thank you for what you're doing in the community. And last but not least to wrap this up, talk a little bit how we can help you. How can we help you sustain this initiative? I think it's really important. So can we donate? What, What are the things we can do to help you? Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I I appreciate having the opportunity to be a guest on the show because I think that you're right. I do often, I mean, I try to insert some of my personality and opinions and things in the conversations, but it's nice to have more opportunity to do that on this episode. As far as supporting the show, what I am hoping to do is prove that a local community-oriented podcast or series of podcasts. I'm trying to do more content as well in different forms, maybe shorter form, maybe other topics that are more specific, that that can survive financially without relying on a lot of ads and sponsors, like on a listener-supported model. So what I have to let people contribute is a Patreon account. And the way Patreon works, it's for creators of all kinds. So YouTube people, podcasters, craftspeople, whatever, people can subscribe and just do a monthly donation. And I have a bunch of different levels. So the lowest one is $3 a month. And I So try- we can donate $3 you, you a month. You can donate $3 a month, right? I love that. Okay. And I like that level because the idea for that, $3 is not very much money. And I consider that if you just want to like throw a little pat on the back to me on a monthly basis, you can sign up for the $3. You don't even have to listen to the show. If you follow me on Instagram and you appreciate what I'm doing, you can sign up and go throw me 3 bucks a month. If a, you know... 50 people, 100 people, whatever, do that. That's money. That pays for things like the web hosting and those kind of things. And then I have a $5 level, and that is more like the official patron level. And I'll send you like stickers and a thank you card and include you in kind of like my, you know, that's like the the fan base level sort of. And then I have a $10 one and a $20 one because I have a handful of people who have the resources to really support this kind of work. And For some people, 20 bucks a month is a lot of money. And for some people, 20 bucks a month is not a lot of money. So that's an opportunity for people who have the disposable or the the income to spend on that, that they can really make a huge difference. 20 bucks a month for me, that pays for, for example, like my web hosting or it pays for the editing software that I use. And altogether, those contributions, even from the $3, $5, $10, $20 level, those combined, I think if enough people know about the show, and they want to support it at a level that works for them. Sure. I think that this can be a financially sustainable project that lets me spend the time and create something of value without having to become a ad salesman. Because that's not what I am. I'm a I want to talk to people. I don't want to be an ad salesman. I don't want to be a marketer. And the only way for that to happen is to have some money to spend on things like ads to sure. uh to get the word out. Because it's it's hard to do as a, you know, 
a one man operation and money helps a little bit. But we got to support local. Yeah. I I think that's the biggest thing. Like I have new stickers that say listen local. And I think that's a really good slogan because I think that there's so much content out there. So we come to the farmer's market, the Riverside farmer's market on Sundays. I will be there maybe not every Sunday, but most. Okay. And uh, yeah, come say hi, get a sticker. I have like an email list you can sign up for so you get new episode notifications. Follow me on Instagram if you don't follow me on Instagram yet at Renoites. So yeah, I think just following the show, subscribe on your podcast app. And if you have $3 a month or $5 or $10 or $20, sign up on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Renoites. And that's a very easy way for people to just uh, support the show in a really, a really meaningful, tangible way. And I appreciate that a lot. So thanks for everyone who supports me on Patreon already. Okay. Well, I love this. This is a great interview. Thank you so much for your time. And everyone, listen to Renoites. Thank you so much for for guest hosting. It was great to have you back on the show and cool to to reverse the roles a little bit. Yeah, we have to do it again sometime. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Renoites. And special thanks to Mayor Sheevy for coming back on the show to be a guest host this time around. Really great to have an opportunity to talk a little bit more about I guess myself and what I'm doing and why it's important to me. I am almost a hundred episodes into this show and having this opportunity to share a little bit more about myself. I really appreciate it. So thank you, Mayor Sheevy for that opportunity and for coming back on the show. As we talked a little bit about in this conversation, there are a few ways for you to help this show be successful. As I always say, letting people know about it is one of the most important. There's tons of people that have no idea the show exists. Being at the farmer's market the last couple of weeks, I meet plenty of people who listen to podcasts, who live in Reno, who are the perfect audience for what I'm doing, and they had no idea the show was even a thing. So it's been great to be there in front of people in real life, but you can help too by telling friends, family, sharing posts on social media is really the best way because you probably have a lot of friends on social media who don't know that this show exists. And if you share a post and say, hey, check out this episode of Renoites, it was really cool. That's a bunch of people who are finding about the show for the first time. So I appreciate that help. And again, we talked about Patreon on the show. If you want to learn more or donate and help the show be financially sustainable, you can definitely do that at patreon.com slash And that's all I've got for you this week. See you next time.